Hello and welcome back to the RevOps Show. In anything we do, there are always going to be mistakes made that set us back and RevOps is no exception to the rule. Over the past few years and working hands-on with revenue operations, we've seen just how certain mistakes can affect our day-to-day. And today, Doug is addressing five mistakes and how you can avoid them. Jess and Doug will be mentioning some key terms like friction, oversolving, plots, and believe it or not, champagne and beer. I won't keep you any longer. Let's get into it. Jess. Doug. Jess. How's it going? Going good. Going good. Good. Well, good. Well. Good and well. <laughs> what What is the right answer? It's going well. Going good. Going well. Well, I'm well. Mm-hmm. It's going good. Goodly. Goodly. That is not a word. Goodly oh, is not is. a word. It is, it is a word. Goodly is a word. If I say goodly, do you know what it means? I, I know what it means. But... So then it's a word. Okay. All right. It's going goodly. Can you believe it, Jess? Can I believe what? Well, two things. A, the swag came in. Finally. Right? Finally. Right? You, you have your vest, finally. I can well, I, I can sleep about for all of us. Well, yes, but I, I can sleep well and I knowing that the team the full team has their best now. Actually we've hired a couple people since it was ordered. So we have to get them their vests. So we do. Good thing I ordered extra. Tomorrow is the end of the first quarter. No. It is. I mean, it is. Is that not the most messed up? It's been a Hell of a week, month, year. Like I can't, you know, it, it, it's it's so weird because like I think it was Monday night as I was going to sleep, I was thinking that the next day was Thursday. And then I realized, wait, no, 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 it's Tuesday. Yeah. Um, Got to have to recalibrate. So like on one hand, there's like so much about time seems to be going so slow. But on the other hand, it's like... I know that that's that's why I said hell of a day week. It is uh, it is crazy, and you know, kudos to uh, to an amazing quarter. Kudos indeed, it has been. It's been a crazy quarter, but it's been good. Well, you know, can can you keep calling things crazy if it's normal? (laughs) If crazy is the new normal, probably not. It becomes normal. Is it still crazy? Probably not. Which I guess is like the life of RevOps today. I think so. I think so. You know, I've, I've been doing some interesting, I don't want to call it research, but I guess it's research. It's um, some people have sent me some things that they wanted me to look at. And it it's so bizarre that um, the definition of, of how people, how different people think about what it, what RevOps is. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we, like I'm beginning to think, you know, maybe we should do an episode in the future, um, given what we did last week or last episode. We probably want to wait a little bit, but I, I think it would be a worthwhile piece of content. What RevOps is not. Oh, yeah. Because increasingly so. what I'm seeing <laughs> is that basically, I guess, I guess in, in a lot of industries right now, RevOps is getting funded. So if you call yourself RevOps or you connect yourself to RevOps, you become RevOps. And actually, I'll tell you a funny story. 
and it relates to the whole, I mean, a large part of why RevOps has become so supercharged is that you've got a lot of MarTech sales tech companies. They're trying to sell stuff. Everybody wants to create a category. So, you know, categories have always been useful to people because they're a way to kind of create your boxes. And instead of having to keep track of every single individual thing, you could keep track of categories. Um, in the investing world, it used to be that you had to buy stocks directly. That's the only way you could invest in the stock market. Then this amazing creation came about called the mutual fund, where the mutual fund invested in a series of stocks, right? So that way you didn't have to pay attention to the individual stocks. You could just pick the mutual fund. When I was at Merrill Lynch, so I think it would have been, I think it was 2001 or 2002 is when it happened. So remember, mutual funds were supposed to sort the stocks make it easier to pick. Right. In 2001 or 2002, there were more mutual funds. There were more public mutual funds than there were stocks. That's crazy. And, and I'm pretty sure, like, so here, here's what Gartner, like I'm going to make a Gartner prediction. Gartner says that by the year 2029, there will be more categories of technology <laughs> products than there are technology products. I believe it. Actually, so is RevOps becoming a catch-all for everything? Is that what you're alluding to? Well, no, I'm just saying it's actually just random. It's kind of like uh, in some some ways the opposite. Because now it's, um, what is it? It's RevOps Intelligence. Oh, wow. I saw that as a category. Then there's RevOps Conversational. Like, I don't even, like, I don't even, um, I just, I don't. I can't yeah, we need to do an episode about what RevOps is not. That'll be, that'll be fun. All right, so what are we talking about not, today, Jessica? I was going to say, that is not what we're talking about today. Today, I want to talk about the five, top five mistakes of RevOps. Well, in fairness, what I gave you to prepare for today, see, I was just kidding everybody. I actually knew what we were going to talk about. There it is. Uh, I'm going to let everyone in on a, on a behind-the-scenes secret here. When it's going to be shocking. When, shocking. when I ask Jess, what are we talking about, I usually know what we're talking about. Though, <laughs> though one day, she'll actually like she'll throw something out. So like, she'll be prepared to talk about something totally different. Just for fun. She'll surprise me. Um, I, I'm, I, I think it's the five mistakes. I don't, I don't, I'm not ready okay. to say that these are the top five mistakes. Then we're going to talk about five mistakes. Of and I think we're going to do that from time to time. I think, I think this would be a good place where from time to time we share what are the mistakes that we see RevOps making um, with the um, hope and intent that those listening can prevent themselves from making those same mistakes. All right. So mistake number one, losing the plot. Which is different than what Michael Stipe. It's different than, than losing my religion. It is different than that. <laughs> well, could, could be the same. Could be the same. Actually, could be <laughs> pro probably in, 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 in its own way, it probably is the same. Um, so yeah, so losing the plot, and you know I talk about the plot all the time. You know, plot is a at least I'm going to refer to it as a literary term. Um, it's actually a story term. I guess it's a story term. You know, the, you know, what, what, what's the central theme? What, what, what is this story about? By the way, when you lose the plot in television, do you know what they call that? What? They call it jumping the shark. Oh yeah. That's when it's a happy days reference. <laughs> that's when, you know, the story has lost its plot. And, and, and I'll tell you, I'm seeing a lot. Actually, this is a nice, this is closing the loop to our earlier conversation. I'm seeing a lot of jumping the shark in revenue operations. Yeah. Um, though I guess today I'm going to talk about one aspect. We, we could probably do a whole series on what are losing the plot mistakes. 
But but here's okay. what I'm going to talk about when I when I talk about losing the plot. It surprises me, and I saw it. I saw the problem early, when when you know before RevOps was being called RevOps, and and as it was emerging, the keyword in revenue operations. And by the way, in case anybody doesn't know, RevOps stands for revenue operations, and and it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I've actually had a couple people that that actually admitted to me like what what is revenue op? I'm sorry, what is RevOps? And I'm like, it's revenue operations. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyways, um, we all tend to live in our bubbles, but the keyword is revenue. The keyword is not operations. The, the reason for RevOps, the plot of RevOps is to enable greater revenue acquisition with less effort. It is less juice. I'm sorry, more juice, less juice. Where does that come from? Losing the plot is less juice more juice for the squeeze. Yep. Right. So, uh, you know, a lot of ways that this shows itself is um, over-focus on process, over-focus on, on doing it right, over-focus on eliminating the friction. And look, if it's going to take you more time, more effort, more energy to reduce the friction, then the friction that you're trying to reduce is causing, you shouldn't reduce the friction. Yep. So I got a couple examples that I can share, but any questions before I get into mine? So I do have one question on this because we we we've talked about this a few times, and one thing that I'm curious about is do you do you think that this is this is a problem because RevOps falls under the wrong the wrong people or the wrong departments? Like we have a do we have a tendency? to put RevOps to operations. And that's why the focus is on operations and not so much on the revenue side. No, I'm not seeing, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, especially like where revenue, where RevOps is its biggest or at least its greatest penetration is the world of SaaS and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and the first and second degree places outside of that. And, and so like, if you're, if you're a software company, what is operations? So operations, like there, there are typically, and, and I'm sure, I mean, I'm going to say this and, and someone's going to, you know, I'm going to get inundated with um, tweets or emails, et cetera, talking to me, you know, sh- showing me operations titles, um, et cetera. Um, but in, in, in those worlds, operations tend to fall into, they, 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 it tends to be called product. Because what is the operational side of, of a tech company? It's building the software, building the tech. Yeah. So it's called product. Um, it's called finance. It's called human resources. That that's the operational side of, of the business. Whereas, you know, in manufacturing and you know, you're running the plant, et cetera. Um, I, like I'm not seeing there, there are some places where I've seen that emerge, but it's very rare. So no, I don't think it's because it's in the wrong place. I, I think I, w- I was actually I was having this conversation um, earlier today, and I you know someone was just they were asking me kind of what was the path, what was my journey to you know how we got to where we are today, mm-hmm. and, and you know I talked about how imagine you know we started off as a sales advisory company, um, shared the the aha moment I had one day sitting in Chicago in a strategic coach workshop when Dan Sullivan. Uh, passed out these cards on the different laws that we were going to review and the law that, you know, kind of just 
blew me away was a law called Kodak's law. And Kodak's law is press one button, we'll take care of the rest. Yeah. Right. Um, which revolutionized photography, or, or at least revenues revolutionized um, amateur photography. So, you know, and, and so I was talking about, you know, the, the, the challenge that you had with sales coaching, sales training, sales structure, sales process is, you know, as much as you might be solving a problem, to solve that problem, you're creating 17 problems. Uh, kind of the way I put it is you're basically taking a whole pile, you know, you know, you're taking a whole big complicated pile of crap that, that someone has been able to ignore and you're throwing it on top of their desk and saying, okay, this is what we have to do. Cause it's all change, 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 change. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're training or coaching salespeople, it's, it's the people, the managers, the sellers, et cetera, that, that have to change. And then the other thing that I brought up is, which is the hardest element of, of sales coaching, sales managing, et cetera, which is you don't control the last mile. You're, you're, nine times out of 10, you're not even there. Yeah. The last mile. You know, with, with, with more and more being done via video conference, phones, et cetera, we now have recordings. So at least we can go back and, and see it. But back when we were doing primarily sales coaching, you know, you weren't even... Um, you know, you, you weren't even there. I, I had, you know, luckily I, you know, from, from sales calls I made going on, on joint calls, et cetera, I'd seen enough sales calls that I could, you know, typically figure out what was going on. And so, you know, one of the things about revenue operations, um, and one of the things about revenue is you don't control the last mile. And if you're yeah. on rev ops, you don't control the last mile. Um, so we all have a tendency to focus on, um, to over-focus on what we can control. We want to create certainty. Um, and, and then the type of people and, and, you know, where is there a lot of, at what point do you need RevOps kind of goes back to our conversation in the last episode when a lot yeah. of shit's going wrong. And, and so I find that a lot of people live in the world of wrong or right. And, and we talked about this in the last episode, but I, I have three or four degrees. I have wrong, not wrong, not right and right. And, and so not right is okay. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, one of the toughest lessons for anyone to learn in any business from, from a strategic standpoint is the goal's not to be right in the majority of things that you're doing, right? right. As a matter of fact, it's to be right in, in the fewest that you need to be right. Um, you know, you want to be great in, and you can only be great in a, you know, in a very limited number of places, but, but in this, it's broken to, to, to write and then I think that it, it comes from comes from a couple places. Um, there's an overfocus on process without really understanding the underlying dynamics of process, right? It's process without system design. Yeah. Um, and the the type of person um, who tends to be more process oriented. Um, and by the way, if you take a look at where where are RevOps people primarily coming from? They're primarily coming from marketing disciplines. When you look at, at sales ops or revenue operations, people that are coming from sales, it tends to be that there was either, you know, that they weren't performing at the level they wanted to perform or they didn't like that. They didn't like yep. the, the sales role. Um, and, and so, and, you know, one of the things that's, that, that's tough about the sales role is every interaction is different. Yeah. 
right? It, it, it's why, you know, I know a lot of marketers and, and, and when I'm doing what we do strategically, I get frustrated with salespeople too, because salespeople immediately go to the outlier. They immediately go to the exception and, and yeah. it becomes, you know, it becomes very frustrating, except that when you realize that the reality and, and what one of the things that makes a salesperson great is every situation is different. So there really is, you know, that outlier situation to them is no different than the situation that's in the middle of your sweet spot because there's still something that's different there. Right. And, and, and so you, you know, eliminate friction. It's an ideal. It's not real. Right. You, you, you map out your process. Don't move from this step until you get, you know, until you know all of these things. And yes, that is true. And it is also true that you will never know all of those things. So you have to work to know all of those things while going to the next step without knowing all of those things. Right. That, that, that's a very hard concept to hold. And so you end up defining yourself. And, and too often RevOps, I think, defines itself by its messes. Um, and so you know, here's a perfect example. I shared a um, email that I got, a cold email that I got. Um, it was the fifth email in a sequence. And I guess this was their breakup email. And it said, you know, obviously this is not the right time. By the way, I got this email on March 25th. Um, would it be okay if I reached out to you in April? And I'm like, so it's it, in April. It's in five days. Week. <laughs> right. I guess the timing's not right. How about I wait till next week to, you know, and, and, and so I made fun of that. Now, here's the thing that, that I got comments on when I posted it. This is the part I, I, I really, really would love to hear people who disagree with this because I know a lot of people will. It was about um, inbound marketing and HubSpot implementation, about how, okay. how they're helping companies get more from HubSpot, right? Now, that was sent to me. Okay. Now, I'm not suggesting that we, that someone couldn't show us Yes. better, you know, to get more from HubSpot. But I am saying if you're selling HubSpot services, <laughs> you should probably not prospect us. Okay. Probably. But I made the, the point that I made and the reason that I shared it mm -hmm. was it was March 25th. And they said, and the breakup email said, how about I wait till now the response I got? Yeah. What, you know, what was really funny is that, you know, apparently they didn't do the research because they're talking to you about HubSpot. And my response is I totally get that. Yeah. Right. Because if, if I fit the profile, like if Imagine were to fit the profile, which is basically small business, mm -hmm. right? to do the research, to clean the list so that no one that yeah. is a HubSpot agency, it's not worth, it's not worth the effort, right? What are they going to do? They're going to make me laugh at them that they're asking me about HubSpot or I reply, you need to do better research. Okay, great. You just clean yeah. my list for me. I just had... I just had this conversation today with somebody talking about, we were talking about database cleanliness and, and where you should focus your time on that. We, you, we did a, an episode about that a, a few episodes ago where we talked through that. And I was, th this use case was almost the exact same use case that I gave them of talking about juice ain't worth the squeeze on some of that. And, 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 and so the time, energy and effort that it would take, to, to actually clean the list of all of those possibilities of things when, when in fact, and here's the thing that people don't get as, as long as you're not 
like totally crazy spamming. So you're, you know, you're, you're destroying your email sender reputation. Right. I don't believe that they're doing who cares. <laughs> right. If I email somebody that is it's like, we, we work with a company that, that addresses forklifts. They service forklifts. Right. And we send to companies that don't have forklifts and, and we've gotten responses yeah. that say, how can you not know that we, we don't have any forklifts? And the answer is the amount of time that we'd have to spend to figure out who has forklifts and who doesn't. <laughs> right. We'd, we'd have we'd have a full time team doing that when, when in fact, hey, guess what? You just cleaned our list for us. <laughs> anyway, you know, if, if you take a look at the underlying email, et cetera, that, that, that we sent here, it's, it, it's a good email. There's by the way, even though they don't have lists, there was still some educational. There's still some benefit to it. Right. Et cetera. But but that's a place where, yeah, no, that you, I mean, should they have sent that? Should a HubSpot agency send a HubSpot agency, a HubSpot services cold email? No, they should not. Right. And, and so an example of RevOps losing the plot is focusing on that, which would slow everything down much, much more than other ways of doing it. By, by the way, we also do, we go about, you know, we'll, we'll implement account scoring rubrics. And we yep. don't have a single rubric. We have a progressive rubric. Yeah. So like, like the risk is, the, the reason that it's bad to do that is if I were to come into their pipeline and start talking to their salespeople and started using up salespeople's time because, and, and you know, being somebody who is not going to buy, that's where it becomes extraordinarily damaging. But there are ways within that process. And, and you know, so, you know, one of the things that we do is once we get a response, that's when we'll begin to potentially do a little bit of research on somebody yeah. if we're if we're going after a market that that can't be identified. Now, this is not an account focused approach. If we're taking an account focused approach, that's a different game. But that's an example of where revenue operations and, and the quote unquote revenue operations mindset loses it because to quote unquote do the right thing would have you know, would, 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 would place a drag on the effort. And someone out there is saying, well, you know, Doug, but actually, you know, if you were to spend the time up front and do this, yeah. well, you know, if someone is thinking that, and I know I just mocked you, I don't mean to, you know, in, in the way that I said that, uh, you know, we, we, we've got a studio with, with a third chair. I'd love for you to join. Let's have the conversation. I am open um, to being convinced, but, but I think if you look, you know, we we've tested this. We've broken it down in a lot of ways. I think you'll find that there are actually, you know, when when the again when the focus is on revenue and not quote unquote operations, right? Not, this is the right process. This is the right way. You're not doing it right. Um, you know, Jim Furyk doesn't swing a golf club right. Sorry, I thought that was I thought that was a mic drop moment there that clarified everything. I guess yeah. Maybe you don't know who Jim Furyk is. I, I I don't think most of our listeners probably know who Jim Furyk is. <laughs> F-U-R-Y-K. Look him up. Okay. He's a golfer. Oh, he doesn't swing a golf club. He's a golfer. Of course, I, I, I answered that in the... You did. You did. High money winning golfer. Okay. Um, all right. On to the, on to the next mistake. Uh, and I'm curious about this one. Champagne vision, beer tolerance. What does that mean? So I'm, I'm obviously playing off of champagne taste beer budget. Right. Um, yeah. Eyes bigger than your stomach, et cetera. And actually what I'm really talking about is giving 150% or 110%. <laughs> right. 
Right. I give 110% every day, Doug. Um, and, you know, and, 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 and it's puffer. You know, the only thing worse than not doing something is, is putting forth that you're going to do something that you're not ready, willing, and able to do. Um, it, it's, it's what motivated us to create the five levels of revenue operations. And it's what motivated us to, to really draw out the distinction between tactical revenue operations and strategic revenue operations. You know, so for example, an example of champagne vision beer tolerance is you, you change your, the name of your sales operations department or your marketing operations team and you call them, okay, they're revenue operations, but nothing else changes. Um, you put forth the idea that, that, you know, revenue operations is going to do X, Y, or Z. You know, we're going to increase velocity when in fact, what they're really doing is they're keeping the database clean. And, and look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with keeping the database clean. I, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you can't get to the strategic elements of revenue operations if you're not taking care of the tactical elements first. Yep. But when you, when you talk big, but play small, you know, revenue operations to, to really embrace revenue operations. You you're you're changing the mindset and and the trajectory of your company. You're go, you're going to manage trade-offs. You're accepting certain things. And and to to be truly what what I would consider revenue operations, that is that is not a decision to be made by the sales organization. It's not a decision to be made by the marketing organization or by the sales and marketing organization, it is a decision that has to be made by the organization. Um, and, and, and in doing that, it must be defined. You know, one of the things that, and what, you know, what I almost, the way I almost labeled this mistake is failure to operationalize revenue operations. What is the job of revenue operations? Is there a clear edict for what the job is? what the role is, what the purpose is. And if it's eliminate friction, increase growth, that's not, that's not an edict. It's got to be clear. And again, it, you know, what is the job of revenue operations? What isn't the job of revenue operations? Or it just becomes one more person on the committee that builds the horse that's known as a camel. Get it? A camel is a horse built by committee. And so, so you're saying defining the job, but you're also talking about incremental improvements as well, right? Like, like making, making small adjustments versus trying to change too much too fast. Well, I, I think you want to be careful that you don't make, you know, you don't change too much too fast, but I think that's a different thing. Okay. You know, if you're going to talk the game of transformation, but you're going to play the game of incremental, then that's where the problem comes in. And, and by the way, that's one of the reasons why salespeople are as cynical as they are when some new initiative gets brought in, because they're always being told how it's going to be transformed. We're going to transform the way we, we go to market. Okay, well, that means we're going we're gonna to upset some people. Yeah. Right? That means we're going to change elements that, you know, that, that go into it. You know, it, it, it's too much of revenue operations is hype. And, 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 and the difficulty is, and it goes what we were talking about in the beginning, you know, the episode, what, what revenue operations isn't. And, and you know what? It's okay that your definition of revenue operations might be, might be very, very different than ours. Yep. Right. But you need to have an organizational definition of what is revenue operations. 
you know, what, what does revenue operations own? What do they contribute to? You know, I, uh, early on when I, you know, when I advised primarily small business sales organizations, I was going to write, you know, my, my biography was going to be change my company, but don't change me. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so there's, you know, there, there, there's a lot of that that goes on. And so, you know, it's really easy. And when you read all this stuff about the impact of revenue operations and this and that, and it's easy to jump in and say, we're, we're now doing revenue operations. Um, look, I, I've seen people, and I think too many people have sales operations, marketing operations, and they go, oh, well, you know, we need to have them under one roof. They're now revenue operations. Yeah. But nothing has changed. <laughs> well, well, you, well, you're calling them revenue operations, so that's changed. <laughs> you know what? If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, you can call it whatever you want to call it. It's a duck. It's a duck, yeah. Right? So, so if you call it revenue operations, and and it's the same thing as it was, then nothing has changed. You you know, and I know you're 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 kidding by by saying that, but that that's where like and 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 you know what? It's okay to say you know what we're going to start off incrementally. Hey, you know what? We we we've identified that there is this problem that's causing a back end issue. Yep. And and so you know the number one job you know so we're you know the the role of of revenue operations today is to make sure that that by the time the deal closes, all the information that accounting needs has been completed. Okay. I mean, if that's what you need to do, then, then, okay. Yep. Right. But, but far too often we, you know, it, it's, it's focusing on buy-in first instead of buy-in last, right? Take the action, be clear on what is the action? What is the purpose of the action? What can you expect? It, it's, you know, it's, it's the mistake on CRM um, adoption. Everyone comes out and makes these big promises about where you yep. got a new CRM. It's going to, it's going to make your life easier. Change yes, your life. it will after you get used to it well and i think that goes to lose that goes back to losing not losing the plot too sure. yeah yep. yep all right this next one's gonna be fun the failure to use friction doug i thought the whole point of RevOps was to eliminate friction what what do you mean but by you, use friction and you need a RevOps team i do <laughs> okay jess let's let, let, um We'll talk. We'll talk after class. We'll talk. After <laughs> class. Can you can you please um, stay after class? So, friction is a tool. You know, think about this: if we didn't have friction, if our tires didn't have friction, we wouldn't be able to drive on the street. Um, by the way, I, I and I'll tell I will tell you this, and I see it happening. If you eliminate all friction in the buying process, you commoditize yourself. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Right difference, right? I mean, we're, we're still battling for differentiation, right? Isn't that like the, the battle cry of growth differentiate or die, right? Well, differentiation is friction, right? There's nothing that happens in life that matters. that doesn't have friction, right? So friction, there, there are times where someone needs to slow down, stop and think, by the way, one of the key things that we do with salespeople regularly is we introduce friction at key points where we need the salesperson to slow down. Look, the reason that I'm a believer in account plans is because it's the only time that a salesperson sits, thinks about the account holistically. Otherwise, they get sucked into a vortex. I don't yeah. really, I, I, I think it was Andy Grove who said, you know, report, you know, creating reports or plans are very high value for the person creating it, but are often useless for the person receiving it. And I hope my salespeople that we coach don't listen to this. 
very often when I ask for reports or plans, I never look at them because the whole point was I wanted you to stop and think that's a, that's an aspect of using friction. I, um, I do that with our, with our client success team correct. frequently. I'm not saying I don't read them in case they're listening to the podcast, but it's, I, I, I do have them do that. And the whole point is to get them to stop and think about what is it that we're doing. You know, um, I think it was Dwight Eisenhower who I saw it attributed to. Um, planning is invaluable. Plans are useless, right? Um, and and so there's there's so much of this idea of of eliminate friction, eliminate friction, eliminate friction, frictionless, frictionless, frictionless. That you know, I you know, when when this battle cry first came out, I talked about good friction and bad friction. But you know, friction is is um, is an inhibiting force. And, and, and so, by the way, how do you get people to do what you want them to do? You make it easier for them to do what you want them to do than to not do it. So what are the things that we don't want people to do? How do we add friction there? How do we make it a little bit harder to do what we don't want them to do and a little bit easier to do what, they, what, what we do want them to do? Right. And, and, and this is a place where it feeds back into the plot. Right. There are times where. You know, we can't say if this information isn't here, then it cannot go to a next step. Yeah. Except, you know, if you do that and you lock that in, then something inevitably happens where it's the exception. You know, whereas, hey, you know what? What I can do is I can make it a little bit harder. I can make it so that an intervention needs to happen here. So you can't, you know, it can't just happen. Right. So, so thinking about friction strategically, th there are times where we want customers to slow down. Yeah. Do Add a little bit of friction. Friction equals traction. No, you know, if you don't have friction, you don't have traction. So, so the question is, where do you want the friction? I want to make sure that when there's a friction point, it's worth it. And, and, and by the way, there are times where we have to add friction into a situation where, it's necessary for the project, quote unquote, to work. Yep. But I'd sure like it, you know, on the other side, I would sure like it not to be necessary. So when those things happen, we make sure that we provide a lot of context. Why is this important? Yeah. You know, and, and, and we strive to make it easier for them, but we don't seek to eliminate it necessarily because it is important. And if I'm on a reduced friction, um, but by the way, I, you know, what I see happening in, in the way metrics are being used is they're so driven by, by efficiency, low friction that, you know, I, you know, I, I, I share the example we're obsessed with um, sales cycle time. Right. And I always say, well, if you want to shorten the sales cycle time, the single best way to shorten the sales cycle time is wait to ask somebody to buy until right when they have their checkbook out. Right, my sales cycle times will be really, really short. Right. And what's interesting is most people agree that all the things that drive the decision, you know, everybody's out there saying, change the way you sell. You've got to change how they think about the problem before they can. But that's not efficient. That's not, not low friction. Right. And and so if I were to spend time doing that, my sales cycle times get longer. You know, I'll, we should probably maybe do this on an episode in the future. I looked at some numbers that we had last year. And, and the year before, and I said, look, our sales cycle time is too quick. Yeah. There's something wrong here. And then also, we, you know, we have, we have um, a channel that's been very good for us. 
And one of the points that I've made to them is, look, my closing rate is way too high with you guys. <laughs> right? Like, well, how can that, what do, what do you mean? It's like, well, well, what that tells me is that there, like you, I should be coming into opportunities where I'm not the right. Right. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the, we're not, we're not matching fit. Right. Right. So, yeah. so I'll add, I'll, you know, and, and so like, I'm okay. Hey, and, and they're like, look, Doug, we want to be really, really, you know, that, you know, we want to value your time. We're going to be really respectful with your time. And I'm like, no, it, it it's okay. If you bring me in for somebody that you're not sure of, because you know what? A reasonable percentage of those people you're not sure of will be able to, to influence how they think about it. And, and we will become a match. And by the way, we'll also increase the probability of winning it. We'll influence it earlier. You know, there, there's a whole lot of other things that happen. So, so again, it's, it's an aspect of using friction rather than just eliminating. Oh, right. Next, next mistake. Oversolving. AKA Doug's favorite quote. Is the juice worth the squeeze? For yeah, and then you know we kind of got a little bit into that on losing the plot and and, and being overly process oriented. So, so for example, oversolving that the email example that's an example of oversolving. Um, you you know we've talked about the database of oversolving. It, you know the the question is, you know, job number one certainly of tactical RevOps is is get the stuff that's broken to be not broken. Get the stuff that's bad to be not bad. Right. By the way, not bad doesn't equal good. It just means not bad. What what tends to happen is that we hyper focus and we try to go from bad to good and, and not just in the binary sense, but, you know, it's not complete until it's good. And here's here's what I say. It's like here's an example. There's a typo in your email. Guess there is. <laughs> um, you shouldn't have typos in your email. Yes, you're correct. I shouldn't have typos in my email. Here's what I know, especially like in my in my early emails, frankly, in any of my emails. If there's a typo in my email and that causes someone to go, I can't work with these people, there's a typo. And by the way, I had that happen. You know, I self-published a book, like full self-published, and there were some typos in there. And someone read the book and like, you know, the book was really good, but I, you know what? There were, I, I, I counted seven typos. <laughs> and look, I just can't, I can't work. You know, I need, I need to know that you guys have attention to detail. And I'm like, okay, wait, you thought the idea of the book was really good, but you, you, you can't get past the seven typists. Like, no, I can't. Yeah. I'm like, okay, guess what? You and I absolutely should not work together. Cause you're saying there were seven typos. And I'm like going, holy shit, there were only seven typos, <laughs> um, you know? And, and, and so now look, should, should we strive? And as you get bigger and as you grow, should, should those reduce? Yeah, they should. Right. Yeah. But, but where we oversolve, you know, the question is, what difference will it make? And we spend too much time on things that don't make a difference. I firmly believe that it's only about 20% max. It's probably closer to 10% of what an organization does or what an, any role does that truly is a difference maker. 80 to 90%, as long as you're not doing stupid things, you'll be okay. Right. The people who do really well. And it's interesting because I see it, I've seen it myself when we're doing really, really well. Yeah. I'm not working as hard. Right. And the, you know, it's one of the places where imposter syndrome sets in. It's like, wait a second. I, I, I'm, I'm not being stressed. I'm not being stretched out. Right. And so you begin to, you know, the paranoia, yeah. set in, et cetera. Right. But but what 
what's going on there is no, you're actually, you're, you're in that place where you're focused on the things that really matter. Right. And, and, you know, nothing ever stays the same forever, but, but there's an aspect where we end up. And, and again, there, there's a place where revenue operation falls into this because it's easier to hold on to what you know and we seek to oversolve it. And, and by the way, somebody who's got the mindset who wants to fix things, it's hard for them to go, hey, you know what? It's not done. Yeah. Right. But there's something else that's more important. There's something else right. that, you know, that has more impact. I, I think in a lot of ways, oversolving is worse than undersolving. It's like if you undertrain, you're, you're going to be subject to injuries. But if you overtrain, you're really going to be subject to injuries. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it feeds into um, if everything's the focus, then nothing can be. So, so if you're trying to fix everything, you're not fixing anything because you've got no focus. Yep. All right. Last mistake. Um, and I think this used to be my title, becoming no, the it was department. Never your title. You were actually <laughs> becoming the department of sales prevention. Yeah. I'm, you know, it was my fear. I was actually worried about this when revenue operations started, you know, becoming prevalent. And then I even got to the point where I thought, oh, okay, I, I don't have to worry about it. But now I'm beginning to see it happen yeah. more. And, and, and by the way, I, I've seen many, many sales operations become the sales prevention department. Your job in revenue operations is to generate revenue. Your job is to make it easier for salespeople to win business. Your job is to make it easier for 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 the for the marketing team to 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 drive their outcomes your job is to increase lifetime now sometimes that means you have to make something hard like i'm a big believer that that if we can focus on more quality over quantity then then that that drives better long term outcomes but you know to get from here to there that that creates some issues and and by the way you have to understand when you're in that transformation period you know you can't you can't work in the right way. Like revenue operations comes in, we're six months in, we've launched our first two big initiatives and we're angry because salespeople are still doing it the old way. Well, guess what? That's the only way that's making any money. And oh, by the way, you're, you know, the real buy cycle takes 18 months. And by the way, the buy cycle takes longer than the sales cycle, nine times out of 10, right? Uh, uh, your, your market's, Defined you in a way for 10 years. Your your market has a way of doing things and you're trying to change it. And guess what? It doesn't matter what you want, right? So, it, you know, it's understanding that market. And before you know it, you know, it's, you know, operations becomes compliance. P compliance becomes you're not doing it right. Um, we start defining ourselves by what's by what's wrong. You know, I, when, I, when I was a financial advisor, um, I became, I, I became really good friends with one of the people in my training class. Um, I was, um, in his wedding party and his wife's dad was really wealthy. And I was really jealous because Chad got his account. Um, I hit it off really well with him, but Chad had his account. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, so what he married your daughter, that's no that reason. Would, that would be account. bad if Chad didn't get his account. Um, and, and his dad pulled us, pulled Chad and me aside. Um, it was the day before the wedding when, you know, we were just doing stuff. Pulled Chad and me aside. He said, look, he goes, I want you to, I want you guys to understand something. As you work with wealthy clients, it's going to be really easy to be the people to tell them no all the time. 
You're going to tell them it's too risky. You can tell them this, this, this. So you, got, you can't be the person who says no all the time. Yeah. You've got to be the, he said, if you really want to work with wealthy people, you're the person who tells them how to make it. Yes. Right. And, and I saw it happen. And by the way, I actually had a client, my largest client I lost. What happened to him was he got, he, he retired ultimately. And you know what happens when you retire? You get a lot of time on your hands. And, and Jim, he was a brilliant, brilliant guy. He was a visionary. He actually completely changed an aspect of, of his industry. He was in financial services. He was a guy, by the way, who didn't believe in debt. Absolutely, totally opposed to debt. You know, so he, he had his dream home built. By the way, he lived in Florida so that he wouldn't have to pay taxes. But he had his dream home built in, um, in North Carolina because that's where his girls were living. And I think his dream home was $15 million. And he paid cash for his dream home because he didn't believe in debt. And I am, um, and by the way, one of the things that really wealthy people do is they use debt far yeah. more, you know, they're strategic in how they use debt. He did not use it at all. And what he said to me is he said, you know what, Doug, as long as I don't have debt, I'll never be bankrupt. I'll never be broke. Yeah. And you have to understand Jim was almost bankrupt four times in his life. And if he had had, if he had had um, debt, he would have been bankrupt. Right. And the reason was Jim had a lot of vision and sometimes it was great. And sometimes it just blew up. Right. So Jim retired and Jim started getting a lot of time in his hands and Jim started doing a lot of stupid shit. And I was creative to figure out how to make it. Yes. And all that, but you know, it became no, look, you know, and I'm going to wait, you know, holy, you know, holy cow, this guy is going from, you'll never have to think about money to what well, you might have to start thinking about. Right. And right. And, and I could tell where, you know, he began to, you know, Hey, there was this investment with this person that he wanted to do. And, you know, and, and the, you know, it, 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 it drifted apart there, but, but that's where, you know, when, when, when you're focused on the process, not the outcome, mm -hmm. um, when you're focused on, on the details, not the objective, when you're focused on, on the how, not the what or the why that's, that's when you become the department of sales prevention, right? When you start saying, no, that's not the right. And by the way, th I would say these are the most dangerous words a rev ops person can say, frankly, th these are the most dangerous words. Anyway, can say that's not the right way or yeah. that's not how you do it. By the way, going back to your why um, earlier, why, you know, is it because they're in the wrong department? I think one of the things that is happening, is it far too many people in these roles? I'm seeing this, by the way, in tech on, on the, we were talking about this earlier today. Yeah. These people have never, forget never done the job. They've never been in the room where the job was being done. Right, yeah. They don't understand. There's, the, the most that they have is theoretical empathy. They understand the, the theory of it. You know, if you haven't sold, then, you know, there, there's this whole thing out there. Is, you, you know, if you're in marketing, you need to spend a day with salespeople. You need to listen on calls so that you can hear what the customer is saying. Yeah, that's probably true. But that's not why. You need to go out on calls with salespeople so you can say, see what salespeople actually have to deal with. Right. Yeah. You, you have to see the stupid shit that happens that a salesperson has to deal with. You have to see that you're answering the same question for the 78th time. Yep. Right. To understand what's going on, you have to get the, the, the visceral negative responses and those things to really understand what's going on and why we're trying to find our way and why maybe we don't want to bring this point up and all those different things. 
so that you can actually eliminate the friction that matters, so that you can actually optimize the path that matters. And there are far too many people coming in with far too many theories about how things should be done. And oh, by the way, I can become super duper famous if I post every day in LinkedIn. And so much of what you see in these places where, and again, this goes back to puffery. It's like, yeah, this person's never actually done it. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, 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 and here's the other thing. And, and, and you can always tell, cause they, I mean, one thing that happens is people talk percentages all the time. That's one dead giveaway that you either haven't done anything or it was no big deal. Um, Hey, I did this and I increased my, my response rate by 300%, right? Cause I got one response before and yeah. now I got four responses. Right. Um, when somebody's done it, you see that what they talk about, what they tell, what they share is, is experience, not, yeah. not platitudes, not opinions. Yep. Um, and, and so it's so easy to fall into this idea of the right way that, that, you know, that ain't the game. Your job is to figure out how does revenue get created and find the shortcut, right? Yep. How, and, and by the way, that's where the genius opportunity, and that's where digital can be so insanely valuable. You know, we, we can reduce the admin time on salespeople, reduce mistakes and free them to do more. If you find that right magical path, yeah. now, you got it. Now you have to understand to get from here to there. How many times in the past has salespeople let go of something only to get screwed? And by the way, yeah. I got screwed, you know, may, this maybe helped me in my life. My first real sales job, I am knocking the cover off the ball. As a matter of fact, I got hired because I, I was in a territory that was so bad. My parents ran a travel agency. This was a car rental company. Um, my parents had become friends with the CEO. I wanted to get into sales. It's like, oh, well, you know what? This territory is so freaking bad. He can't screw it up. So I got the job and, and I um, knocked the cover off the ball, found my way to, and you know what, you know what I was rewarded with? So Alma Rent-A-Car was the company. They were predominantly a leisure company. I had, um, the DC Metro area. So DC, Virginia, and Maryland. I lived in Virginia. Virginia was far and away the best territory, you know, and I went through my whole, like, I didn't do it intentionally like I do now, but I figured out who were the, who were the agencies that could really move the most focused on them. Um, DC was my worst. I hated DC because basically you had a call on 16 agencies. You parked your car, you called on 16 agencies. Yeah. So you had to start off carrying a, you know, 200 pound briefcase so that you'd still have the materials that you had to give by, by the end. DC was a corporate market, et cetera. Um, so I was actually also the way that their sales team was set up. They were independent contractors. We were paid hundred percent commission, no cap. I got paid far, far more than, than they ever thought anyone you know quickly became the highest paid sales rep in their company and the reward was they offered me to become their first employed salesperson right that i'd proved that it was worth and because i had developed the territory so much it was now worth three people so they were going to split my territory into three okay that's bullshit but okay now what i would do is i'd say we're going to split your territory into three because we need three right which one which which one do you want yeah sure we're, we're giving you dc the reason we're giving you DC, the worst performing aspect of my territory, is because Doug, we know, right? And oh, by the way, they also cap what my total income would be. Yeah. I'm like, hold on, what a second. So wait, you're going to 
Split my territory into three. You're going to give me the worst part. You're going to cap it. Well, guess what? I was being recruited by a whole bunch of different companies and suddenly that hurts offer. Yeah. Sounded so much better. Right. right? And, and, and so like I saw what happened when I let go, I saw what happened. Right. right. So people have gotten screwed on those things so many times. Hey, we're going to manage this for you. So you don't have to, then the ball gets dropped to lose. Right. So you have to go right. through that period and understand that there's that transition. That's what the job of RevOps is, right? It's about that, that, you know, moving the path forward, finding that path to velocity, not implementing some, we have to keep the database clean. Like I remember one, I, I got in trouble at Hertz because I didn't turn in my expense reports quickly enough. Yeah. And so they came and they said to me, look, any expense report not turned in within 30 days, you won't get reimbursed on. Kind of like if you don't keep the CRM up to date, you will not get paid commission. And I looked at them right. and I said, okay, fine, no problem. Here's my question. Do you want me out there working with agencies, continuing to grow, you know, hitting the numbers that I'm hitting? Yeah. Right. Or would you rather have me sit here filling out my expense reports? Because by the way, if, and, and, and in fairness, like I would, sometimes it would be six months before I turn in an expense report. But, but, but you know what? They're sitting on my money for six months. Like yeah. it's okay. Someone listening going, Doug, you're stupid. Waiting six months to turn in your expense report. Yeah. Or, you know, quickly the, you know, the, the expense manager got told, no, Doug's going to turn his expense reports when he turns in his expense. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's an example of what I'm talking about of where revenue operations becomes the, the VP of, of sales prevention. Sales prevention. And by the way, so your job is not to make the sales team, the marketing team or the success team happy. Yeah. Uh, make no mistake about it. They are your customer. Yeah. And you better delight them. You don't have to make them happy, but you better delight them. 100%. All right. A couple of takeaways. I like that one that, that sales and marketing is your customer. Um, I think, you know, the to solve one problem you're creating 17 i don't think we think about that but i thought that was a really good takeaway and the fact that friction can be an asset and that you should be using it instead of trying to eliminate it fully those were my key takeaways i thought this was good here's to quarter number two jess cheers and that's a wrap on this episode of The RevOps Show. The thing that stuck out to me most was when Doug mentioned there's no right way and that we shouldn't be telling people they're doing RevOps wrong. So while there are mistakes that you can make that you should avoid, there's no one size fits all when it comes to RevOps. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and share the episode. If you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Jess about the RevOps mistakes covered today or anything else RevOps related, email me at hannah at imaginellc.com or hit us up on Twitter at DemandCreator. Until next time, remember, you can't solve your upstream problems downstream.